Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without work is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Children, and we kind of wonder what's going on with the kids and 
what's going on with the parents. Right, right. Very, so, very high levels of stress these days for for lots of reasons. But uh, economic stress, political stress. Uh, you know, teachers are underpaid, so we've got challenges with school systems. We've got challenges with healthcare. We've got challenges with families. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the big picture. Uh, the polls are showing that uh, people are more stressed out these days than in, than in a long time. So those are some of the, the barometers of what happens with kids. We can go into more of that, uh, how, how kids are sort of the barometers of our stress, too. They some, very often will be uh, picking up what, what's going on with parents and in the bigger world, and, and they're uh, becoming symptomatic as a result of that. So. Something like one out of every five kids is in need of mental health services uh, while they're, you know, either children or, or teens at this point in time. Wow, that's amazing. Well, yep. let's start with tell the tell our listeners about a little bit about you and uh, your background. Okay. Well, um, as you said, I, I got my PhD in clinical psych, and f- so for years I have been a child psychologist. I specialize in working with kids in the 2 to 12 age range. And um, in the course of my uh, in the course of my work, I realized that the uh, the office that I have I, I have a, a office and a practice. I'm the director of a nonprofit here in Santa Barbara, and. Um, just, I mean, there's just such fabulous new information, what I call the uh, social technology of how it is that we can bring out the best in people and how we can bring out the best in our kids, you know, which includes not just loving them up, but also providing, you know, firmness and structure because love and warmth on one hand and firmness and structure on the other, those are the two essential components of parenting. And so, um you know, after many years of, of being successful with my clients, I said, whoa, this is just, there's such important information that really needs to get out there. So my wife and I um, did a lot of research on families and came up with uh, what are really the 10 keys, the most important factors for families to strive for in terms of how to bring out the best and, and uh, you know, raise kids that are happy and independent and that kind of thing. And... Um, so, and then parallel to that, I have been involved as a songwriter. Uh, still, I'm writing songs for various uh, for various projects, and I have over 50 songs online uh, under a uh, title called HappyKidsSongs.com. So, my emphasis basically is to give parents tools and to give kids tools. There's this whole movement, what we call uh, social and emotional development, is is really really a high predictor of whether whether kids grow up to be happy adults. So their their ability to deal with social situations, to handle feelings, to uh, you know to feel good about themselves, but not be the center of the universe, so that they're running the show wherever they go, you know. Uh, and uh, as as probably many of your listeners will will uh, recognize, there's just a whole bunch of kids out there who have too much power in the family, and they're running around restaurants and getting in trouble and. Whoa. Getting kicked out of schools and getting into drugs and getting addicted to screen time, even at age six and five, you know. So, big challenges, lots of great solutions. Time to get this great information out there. So, I've been doing everything I can uh, through interviews and lectures and writing and an online course that I have. We can get to talk about that later. But, uh, you know, just trying to be. Uh, a bigger microphone of the world and say, hey, here's, here's all this really great information. Let's uh, let's see if we can put it into action. Is that is that uh, a part of the program that you developed? Uh, is which which the part of the the the, the uh, online it, program? Uh, the online program that I've developed is specifically toward helping parents who have what we call strong-willed kids. So um, yeah. So, so yeah, the latter part that I spoke about is, is definitely focused on that. It's uh, people don't have to come to my office anymore to get the tools and the techniques that uh, that can really help their kids to to, to turn around, is what I call it. Because uh, you know, kids who are strong-willed and have too much power and they're not listening to their parents, uh, they they thrive under the circumstances of having sort of a a, a turnaround process where they. Uh, you know, the parents are now using different, um, very caring ways of setting limits. So helping them, you know, helping parents avoid spanking and lecturing their kids and raising their voice and is really um, 
if you want to go into it, there's some really important new information about brain research that has applications for parenting and what uh, what we might want to know about the brain so that we can uh, we can bring out the best. I have I have a question for you because I I see it a lot of times too. Um, you mentioned like in stores and in restaurants, and it seems like uh, a lot of single parents. And I just don't want to single out our female listeners because I know I hear about it later. Um, yeah. A lot a lot of them tend to want to straddle that line and want to be friends with their children. Uh, more so than parents, and seem like they lose a lot. And I see a lot of disrespect, or could be strong-willed, uh, from the children. And in yeah. my day, it was just, in my day it was just straight out disrespect. So, yeah. um, how how would you classify that? Well, the there's there's a lot of reasons why parents can be too lax with their kids, you know, and and so sometimes with single parents the the challenge for them is, oh, my gosh, I feel sorry for my child because they don't have a second parent. Their dad's gone or their mom's missing. We know where. So, um, you know, feeling sorry for your child is, is a good thing to a certain degree. Like if a kid is, if a kid is sick, I mean, you know, you, know you, you, you lower the bar a little bit so that you don't have quite the same expectations for sure if a, if a child is cranky or had a terrible bit day in school. Um, but single parents have it tough because um, sometimes if they're working, they don't have, um, they have, they've got a little bit of guilt about, oh, my gosh, I've been away from my kid all day. He's been at school. Now he's at the Boys and Girls Club, and now I've, it's it's, uh, it's 7 o'clock. I've barely seen him all day. I'll just let him do whatever they want because I feel I feel sorry for them because they've been deprived of me. So that's one of the deals. And then just not having support. Um you know, support from another parent because sometimes kids can be so tough, and it, it almost can take a team of two to to be challenged by what's going on. You know, and and have backup, and you know, I didn't get sleep last. Hey, we got a little coop lick there. You back? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so anyway, so kids uh, who are um, not doing well because their parents are, are, are uh, straddled by wanting to be their child's friend. Oh, I, what I was going to say is uh, with single parents a lot of time, well, they don't have enough time to develop friendships. So if they want to um, meet a lot of their social and emotional needs with their child, well, then that's problematic because if you're doing your job right as a parent, your kids are going to be upset with you sometimes. And if you get all your eggs in one basket, it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't lose the only friend I have because he's going to be mad at me because I'm asking him to do his homework and get off of his uh, his video game. Well, that's, you know, that's a problem. So that's that's where that single parent thing comes in. And, and, it, and it seems like uh, you could always tell, you could always tell when a child is, is running the household, he's running amok. Um, because when he gets out in public and, and his behavior is the same and then the parent is embarrassed and then they want to discipline the child. Right, right. Yep. You see it all the time. And ideally, you know, the rubber meets the road when you're in home so you don't have to have, you don't have to face the thing of, you know, I had one kid who, you know, would always dictate where they went out to a restaurant, you know, instead of the mom. This was a single-parent mom who, um, you know, was struggling with their child who, who, you know, why don't you just say what you want? Oh, no, well, then he'll have a fit, and then there'll be this huge conflict, and he'll, you know, raise a stink, and and I'll be so embarrassed because he'll be screaming, you know, in in front of the restaurant and walking down the street screaming or having a temper tantrum, that kind of thing. So um, what I highly recommend when people... Um, when they're when they're going to turn things around and sort of I, the way, the metaphor that I use Lamont is is kind of like changing the speed limit. You know, your child's going 95. Well, you know, in their best interest and in yours, because it's really win-win. What you want to do is have a very sort of um, uh, caring and and planned out meeting where you're going to change the speed limit and you're going to warn them. You're going to give them, you know, have your people call my people kind of thing. 
here's the deal, here's the new thing, here's what we're going to do now, here's how it's different, and, um, you know, and parents uh, really need to learn how to be respectful, too, and I would say probably one of the biggest things is they learn, they need to learn how to handle their own big feelings, because there's nothing worse than when your kid gets out of control, then you get out of control, and then both of your brains are firing up, and your brain is acting as if you're getting attacked by a tiger and here you are talking to your mother or the person you love the most in the whole world and and or your child you know uh because that's when you the say when you, when you say ahead. big feelings what are you what are you speaking of exactly i'm i'm speaking primarily of uh, of either sadness or anger or hurt or whatever but but usually with strong-willed kids, and and the biggest problem is that anger levels get out of get out of hand. So, here's an example. I mean, there's there's been a whole bunch of research up in Seattle with a guy named John Gottman who's worked with couples, and even before, before Fitbits were invented, they they had the ability to um, look at couples who were in conflict, and they would have a little uh, cuff that would measure their pulse rate, and they figured out, oh my gosh, people can get flooded. Well, that's a really great term because flooded, if you have 18 beats a minute of a, above your normal resting heart rate, you're in an emotional state where you're not able to connect with people or listen very well or do anything constructive or make any decisions. So, you know, here it is. A, a mom comes comes home, you know, her kid hasn't done his homework yet, and then she's upset, and then he gets upset. And what we know about the brains now, or about people's brains, is that they sink and lock into each other at the feelings level. And uh, this has been demonstrated over and over again um, in research. They call it mirror neurons, where if I'm upset and you and I are in the same room, you're going to experience my depression or my anxiety. Let's say you and I went out to, to lunch, Lamont, and, and, and I'm super depressed that day, and by 1230 you're kind of yawning and looking at your watch and going, oh, my God, I'm just sort of feeling really heavy here. And you don't even know that I'm depressed, but my brain and your brain are kind of keyed in with each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff that we used to think was sort of woo-woo energetic, you know, but here it is, there's really good science about it now out of, uh, out of UCLA that shows that our brains, our social organs, they're constantly fueling and feeding each other. And um, so when I say big feelings, usually talking about this anger dance where it escalates. Yeah. Yeah. So what we all need to learn to do if we're going to be effective as parents or even in, as partners, you know, in a couple's relationship is, well, I've got these feelings inside of me. Feelings want to come out. Well, how am I going to, one, express feelings constructively so that they're handled to some degree in that way and also manage them and kind of like calm down if I need to calm down because right now I'm in a business meeting and I can't blow up at people. That's not going to help me at all. And I can't blow up with my kids because when I do that, even though I might have the illusion that they're responding right away and now they're scared of me so they're doing what, what I want them to do, but the bottom line is there's side effects from that yelling that if the child isn't yelling back, they're going to get you back. They're going to have, you know, uh, retribution. They're going to they're gonna take their good sweet time when you need to get out the door the next morning uh, uh, and get off to school and that kind of thing. So wow. that's what I call the, the dance of anger, you know. Wow. And, and it's almost, I guess my question is, is, is that, I guess that's normal, but, is there an age when that develops or when that starts to happen? Uh, yeah, it's called birth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, really, because, you know, at birth, a child's emotional brain is completely wired up. And their thinking brain, if it's a girl, when I say wired up, we've got 80 billion neurons in our brain, right? So for, for, uh, you know, for a child who's born, their emotional brain's wired up, so they're going to be screaming when they need some. And I, the ideal parenting in that first year is to, you know, spoil your infant rotten. It's basically meet every one of their needs, nurture, 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 attend, nurture, you know, just really make sure they're bonded to you and comforted all the time. And and so kids, yeah, they, they will express their feelings very readily even at, at birth and in that first year of life. 
Now, just to segue back to, okay, so developmentally, after that first year, you no longer as a parent want to nurture all your child's needs because that's spoiling them and it's teaching them disrespect. It's like, you know, the respect ideally flows both ways that you respect and care for your child and then very gradually over the years, you know, even up by third grade, they should be respectful to you and care about you and have empathy and that kind of thing. Um, But so when you say, when does it start? Well, it starts early and then the, the brains for girls uh, for women, basically, your brain isn't wired up sufficiently or, or completely by age 25. And for guys, guess what? It's, tw- it's 28 years old before the brain is completely wired up. And some of that wiring has to do with control over those emotions that, that all the way from birth have been uh, activated and are, are readily functioning. You know, they're, they're, full, they're, they're full bore. So... You know, it's not just for children that we talk about this, but also for adults that we talk about, you know, what are some good ways to be able to deal with with these kinds of big feelings so that they don't get us in trouble? Wow. That's very, very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Very interesting. That's some of that brain stuff. It really turns me on. I I, I get really motivated at this brain research because it's really kind of fun. I see. I, I see why women think they're sharper than guys too. Well, absolutely, and they read earlier, and they're oh gosh, yeah, and they're and they're socialized to handle feelings way better than guys at an earlier age, you know, because they're they're practicing with their friends and they're they're talking about feelings and relationships and emotions when when guys are talking about things and cars and you know video games. It used to be baseball cards, and when I was growing up, but. You know, the, the guys are guys are sort of socialized to relate to things, and and girls are socialized to relate to other people. So they're they got well, a leg know, up on us for uh, for many yeah, years. Well, you know, until, we got you know the you know the guys has always been snake snails and puppy dog tails. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Can so, I quote you? And the girl, yeah, and the women has always been sugar and spice and everything nice. So you know, there you go, there you go. So we always had to kind of like put, yeah, we always had to kind of put our emotions, you know, on the back seat for a while. You know, we had to be the, the, you know, the the guy, the tough guy, you know, the man of the household. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll share my theory about that, too. You you won't find this written anywhere, I don't think, or at least I haven't found it. Here's my theory, because I deal with couples all the time too, you know. So it's just it's it's almost inevitable that the women have you know better social skills and empathy skills and good stuff like that. And and what I do is I turn to the men and say, you know, first of all, we didn't learn this very well as kids. But I'm going to tell you, the fact that men for centuries have gone to war, and you know, women now are in combat too. But but. For centuries, men have gone to war, and how easy is it for you to be still in touch with and access emotions after you've been traumatized by seeing your best buddy blown up or seeing combat or all the atrocities of war? It's impossible to let yourself feel. So men return, and they have PTSD. They have all kinds of challenges in terms of trying to re- reintegrate into the world, whether we're talking about World War One or Afghanistan. It's the same thing. So it's hard to have feelings if you've been in a combat situation, and I think that kind of pervades the society uh, in a way that's just equally uh, a, a, an important way of understanding things as, as just the fact that, that we're a bit different, our brains are different, and we have this, you know, the challenges of our differentness, and there's obviously fabulous things about men, and and they're also challenged with this emotional stuff that we now know is so important for um, for long-term relationships and connection, and for for happiness too. Right. Yeah. Yes, this world we live in. I have a <laughs> had a, got a question here for you, and it makes me it gives oh actually it gives me another question. Sure. Um, uh, what what kinds of kids can be helped, and are there any kids, in your opinion, that you feel that can't be helped? With the with the specific approach that I take, um, 
Well, let me, let me start with a story. This is, this is a true story of a girl named Sarah. She gets kicked out of uh, her third preschool for biting the teacher, not just other kids. She's biting the teacher, right? So I'm, I, I, I turn to Sarah and I, in the middle of a first family session. So her mom and dad are sitting there, and Sarah's sort of playing on the floor with me. And I said, so, Sarah, tell me, what, who, who's the boss in the family? And she points to her father. And her father's just sort of turns red or whatever, and then the mother bursts out laughing, and she's laughing and laughing, and I, and I ask the mother, what, what's so funny? And uh, she says, well, I don't know how that's true, and then Sarah pipes up and she says, yeah, we're here because I'm the boss in the family, but Mommy wants to be the boss. That's why we're here. <laughs> All right, so here's, I mean, Here's my entire uh, treatment plan set out for me without even having to think about it. It's kind of like, okay, so in families, you know, children are not the boss of the family. At the feelings level in healthy families, what happens is that we're all sort of on the same playing field. If I have, you know, if I'm mad at my dad because he was late for 15 minutes picking me up, it's good to be able to talk about those feelings and have, you know, that kind of equivalence. But you know, the kinds of kids that are helped. Um, a lot of kids will even be deciding when they get to go to bed. And what we know is that sleep is hugely important for, for kids in this young age range. So that's an example. Um, there's lots of kids who really can't make friends in school because they're too much the center of the universe. They haven't, they haven't, been, uh, they haven't learned yet really how to do what we call share influence. So, Lamont, if you and me and two other people are sharing a cookie, you know, well, we each get a quarter of a cookie or a quarter of a pie or whatever, you know, and that'd be a fair way to split things up. Well, a lot of times strong-willed kids or kids who've had too much power in the family, they they demand so much attention, they can't share, they can't uh, abide by rules when they're playing out in the playground, so kids kids who are strong-willed who who have too much power they're basically uh uh they're shunned by their peers because they have to be you know number 1 and they don't care so much about uh other kids so it's it's kind of like a reflection of how they're treated in the family gives them too much of a sense of them of their own self-importance on the playground so and then there's the kids who are you know throwing temp, temp, temper tantrums all the time and and um, that kind of thing. So, you know, the the bottom line is that it's easy enough just to um, for parents to ask themselves if if uh, if their child is has got too much power. Well, you know, does your child listen to you? Do you have to raise your voice in dealing with them? Do they they ignore normal everyday requests? You know, when they just don't feel like listening. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, you know, there's a lot of parents who. You know, something like 80% or 60, uh, it's between 70 and 80% of parents will still spank their kids. But we know now from just a ton of research, too, that that's not the best way to go uh, either. So, right. it's, it's, <laughs> you know, so parents are well, looking, let's, like, let's what do I do about, instead, let's you know? About, let's talk about that for a minute because you just took me right into uh, uh, two of the next questions, uh, the, the one with uh, – why kids misbehave, and I know there's a plethora of reasons for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoke a little bit about that one, and, and you were saying um, it's a lot of research why we shouldn't spank kids now. I know in, in my era we couldn't um, uh, miss a spanking. I mean, we got it in school, you know, from the, the, yeah. the, the gym teacher. And, wow. Uh, before, and, and when we got home, I mean, we took the long way because we know when we got home, we got it again. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I didn't hear about you know children taking guns to school then, like right? We're hearing today, yeah. Um, we didn't hear about uh, our, our children being disrespectful to the teachers and um, teachers want to uh, transfer to other schools and. Because of the kids being oh so unruly, so tell 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 me tell not me but tell our listeners a little bit how that train of thought versus today's thought with non spanking has uh, benefited the children more. Why is it? Yeah, thing. okay. 
Well, I'll, I'll cover your first question. It's like, so, so what are reasons why kids misbehave? But now it, it moves right into the spanking thing. I mean, so kids are testing. They're looking for limits. You know that old song, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places? Well, I, I, I playfully say, well, kids are, are testing. They get anxious when they don't have sufficient boundaries. So they will continually push and push and push until the parentilsis and push back because, oh, my gosh, I've got these feelings, This uh, whether it's my hostility inside as a child or my uh, just upset about, you know, I'm not getting the frame that I need. And uh, so rather than kids getting you know worse when their parents are setting carrying limits they actually they settle in and they get less anxious they they can often look add and they're not you know because they're they're bouncing off the walls um so kids can can act out because they want their parents attention you know and negative attention is better than no attention so they'll you know they'll get ignored when they're doing what the parent wants them to and then they'll spill the milk or whack their brother and then oh my gosh then the parent swoops in well guess what for for younger kids, especially in 2 to 12 age range, parents' attention is one of the most important uh, factors that improves or increases the behavior that you want. You know, is give it some attention. Give your kid appreciation. Give them a 5 to 1 ratio of positives to negatives. Um, and then sometimes, like I said before, they're retaliating because uh, they feel like they've been mistreated. Um, they can be acting out at home because stuff's going on in the playground you know they've been teased that day or whatever and so they're expressing their frustrations at home that uh that are really from from school and uh, we'll get into the sleep thing later i'll just put that one on hold but uh you know kids are often sacrificing themselves too probably one of the most important things i could convey to your audience is that that a lot of times kids are the barometers of stress in the family and when there's a lot of couples conflict, kids can do what I call distract from that conflict. The parents are fighting, and then the kid does something, and then the parents stop fighting, and they focus on the kid. And that, that can develop into a behavioral pattern uh, where the kid's getting attention for that, and then the parents are getting rescued from their own conflict. And that's some weird mm. kind of family stuff that kind of kind of feeds into it and fuels it is uh, how kids can be also, like I said, with the mirror neurons, those those ways that we uh, reflect, our, you know, from brain to brain, that the kids feel that stress, and then they're the ones that are expressing it. They're the ones that are screaming, even though the parents might need to scream at their boss because they didn't get a raise that day or because somebody cut them off on the freeway or because they are frustrated with each other as a, as a couple because of who knows what, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the credit card debt, the you know, jealousy issues. So kids, you know, it used to be that, that, that parents would want to drop the, my kid has got this problem, drop them off, fix them, put them in individual therapy, play, you know, play with them with puppets and fix them. And, and boy, um, you know, in my experience that the family therapy, the systems model is really important because not only you're looking at what's going on inside the kid, but you're looking at what's happening in the family and what's happening in the couple's relationship. And a lot of couples now, they'll come in and say, you know, we really want you to implement this program with little, you know, with our son, but, you know, we realize that we're not getting along so well, and what should we do? And and what I say to them is, well, you know, we really want to get you guys working as a team together, and if you're upset with each other about other stuff, and that's going to leak into the implementation of a program, then we got to focus on the couple's deal first and, I playfully say we want to get our act together before we take it on the road. So yeah, that's a a pretty a pretty important factor that that's often overlooked uh, when people just see kids in therapy. And and uh, I obviously don't don't agree with that model. So the thing about spanking, if you want me to go into that, you know, a high percentage still spank their kids. Uh, there's a few pretty important disadvantages. I mean, we want to think about the use of consequences with kids, kind of like medicine, Lamont. You know, you want to, if I had a headache, I want to take one aspirin and see if that works. If it doesn't, then I might take two or three or whatever, you know. But but with every medicine, there's a, there's the main effects. There's what you want to have the thing do to help you. And then there's what we call side effects, which is, yeah, well, you might be helped with this thing, but now you got a stomach ache or whatever. So there's side effects with consequences. 
And it's important to use consequences and to use mild consequences and, and close to when they're happening. But what happens with spanking is that it really sends a message to a child that it's, you know, it's okay to use physical force or violence. And, and so kids who are spanked at home, they, they can almost see aggression as a legitimate way to work out differences with others, regardless of the advice that the parents, you know, you shouldn't do this, whatever. So, so they're more likely to act out in school if they're afraid of their parents, then they can be angry about how they're being treated because their, their bodies have been hit or whatever, even if they're not leaving marks. But then they take it out on their little brother or the dog or themselves. They'll get depressed and they'll internalize it. Or they'll take it out in school and they'll start to have some challenges with, um, with taking out some of those aggressions in school. So uh, it, it can get misdirected and resentment builds up and then it unleashes. Uh, and then I guess the one more thing I'd say is that, that uh, you know, kids, kids – identify with their bodies you know so it's like kind of like who i am is my body so if you're if you're hitting me it gives me the impression no matter what you say that i'm bad there's something wrong with me and we want to always make a clear differentiation parenting kids that i love you dearly you're a wonderful person yada yada you know all that good stuff and it's your behavior that's not okay it's not okay for you to hit your little brother. It's not okay for you to not listen to me when I ask you to please brush your teeth and go to sleep. So what we find is that, that the, the spanking kind of thing has the kinds of side effects that, uh, that will spill out in other ways. And so, you know, the, the, the problem, I think, for parents is they don't have something else. It's kind of like, well, what do I do if I can't spank them? You're telling me don't yell at them? You're telling me don't... Uh, uh, you know, lecture them or you know, count to ten every time because the kid will then wait until I count, get up to nine before they'll do what I want them to do. And so they haven't had a lot of tools to um, to supplement or to do instead. You know, about how to how to set limits with kids, even though they may even recognize you know that's an important thing. That was that's a good one too because I was going to ask you about that as well. What do you do with a parent that continually well, I, I don't want to use threaten, but I guess that is a good word, too. If you continue uh, with this behavior, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, keep on. I, I done told you, keep on. I, I told you to stop. I'm not going to tell you again. I'm, I'm going to tell you one right. time. If you do it again. <laughs> I mean, over and over again. And then after a while, the kids looking at them like, whatever. You ain't going to yeah, do right. nothing. You haven't been doing nothing. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So what, what happens in that situation? Yeah, well, I, I got a good... I got a good analogy for you. It's kind of like, okay, so you're speeding on uh, on a freeway, and and the the police person, the highway patrol person says, uh, okay, so Don, now look, you shouldn't do this. Da 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 da. And you know, I'm going to count to ten or whatever. I'm, you know, so you're speeding every night at 100 miles an hour, and if you don't get a consequence and you just get a warning, well, it's empty threats, and there's no child on the planet who doesn't figure out. You know, well, what what really is the bottom line? You know, just like you know, sometimes people will speed a little bit on the freeway, and oops, there's that red light behind me. I better I better slow down, and they actually do slow down for a few weeks after they've gotten the ticket. So, um, you know, it's it's a good question. So so uh, you know, what do you do with that? Well, you want to set limits, but you want to you want to use what we call age appropriate consequences, and you want to meet them out. You want to give them to your child almost in the same way that a, that a police officer does where, no, they don't yell at you, they don't scream at you, they don't throw you in jail unless you have out, outstanding warrants or something. They just give you a ticket. And so if parents can learn how to deal with their own heightened emotionality when their kids are in their face or whatever and sometimes even ignore stuff and walk away, but also to set, set age-appropriate limits, then, then kids thrive. They uh, they have example, improved self-esteem. Pardon? Example of uh, what you consider age-appropriate. Uh... Well, for 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 younger kids, the uh, I use a procedure called timeout, and it's it's really fast. Uh, rather than like put the put the child in the room, like with a nine-year-old, the prevailing myth out there is you know nine minutes for a nine-year-old. And uh, that's just way too much time. So, so having kids do timeouts when they're when they're in their younger years for 
for kids who are older, uh, and, and even, you know, eight and up, you can take away screen time. You know, you didn't listen to me, so you've just lost 20 minutes of your screen time. With with the uh, with the middle school age kids, with the tweeners, you know, the tweeners or the, you know, teens, it's, it's the withdrawal of their phone, their cell phone or whatever, and you just, so hand me your phone, you're not listening to me kind of thing. And then, you know, you have to sometimes build it up from there, depending on what degree of outrage there is or response to that. But uh, but that's the best way to start. Consequences should be close, very close in time to to the infraction or the behavior problem. And then, uh, you know, meet it out. And like I said, like medicine, you want to use only as much as needed and no more, because if you start to set up that anger dance, then you may think you're winning in the moment, but you're losing down the line. Right. Picture. I just wanted you to get. Yeah. I just wanted you to give that example out there too, in case you know some parents want to put their kids in the trunk of their car or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So all, you know, all, although while, you know what, Lamont, what 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 really is true though is that it, it, when we were a parent, there is no question, but that we think of all kinds of things like that, like oh my God, I want to wring his neck, you know. It's like I bust my butt all days, and I go to work, and I come home, and I give him love and attention, and and three meals a day, and this little schmuck is not doing what I want him to do when I ask him to brush his teeth and go to bed, you know. So that the level of frustration that parents have with their kids under these circumstances is completely understandable. And that's what has to get changed in order to then uh, get the whole emotional tone of the family settled down so that it's reasonable and, and positive. How much How much do you think, uh, I, I know this is one of my left field questions, how, how much do you think that the schools or the educational system uh, plays into children misbehaving at home? Uh you know, it depends on the situation. It all depends. It depends on the school. Depends on on the home situation and the comparison. I mean, I can, I I am a um, former school psychologist, so I'm familiar with schools. I've done a lot of consultations in schools. I can tell you, the stuff going on in schools it's pretty upsetting, and I've and I've had to coach teachers about how to handle stuff. Um, one of the unfortunate situations is that that uh, teachers are burned out. They've got too many kids in their classroom. The level of stress that they experience as a function of, of burnout is huge, and so that's a problem there. Um, I can tell you that a few months ago I went into a second-grade class, and the presenting challenge was that there were the second-grade girls, believe it or not, were doing these mean girl things where there was like a click of five or six of them, and they would – almost almost you know by the week exclude one other kid in that group and it would feel horrible to that child so you know the principal sets the tone for the uh for kind of the emotional climate in the school um teachers need support teachers unfortunately have been trained to deal with kids cognition they they know how to teach kids brains but the problem is I'll give you a quick example. Let's say a kid is teased in the playground, and then they come inside, and then they're sitting in the classroom, and they could be sitting in the front row, but the teacher's teaching them arithmetic now and, and times tables or whatever, and if that kid has just been emotionally upset because of something that happened 10 minutes ago, they're not going to learn a thing. Right. They're going to be sitting right. there in a daze. They will be consumed by what just happened, and that's one. That's an, yet another important uh, realization from the brain research is that the amygdala, which is the size and shape of an almond, that is the, the center of the emotional brain that sends a signal of danger to us. And if a kid's been traumatized, like in a car accident or something, or, you know, witnesses their parents in a huge fight and, you know, throwing stuff or whatever, boy, kids can get really upset by that and consumed by it. So schools, ideally, will have the integration of, of concepts around social and emotional learning. That's why I wrote over 50 songs that focus on social and emotional learning, and you know, songs are appropriate for kids in the four to eight age range and, and classrooms all over the country are, are playing the songs so that kids can learn these ideas about how it is that 
that uh, in an ideal school situation, here's another example, two kids get in trouble. How do you orchestrate it? So you sit those children down and you have them talk stuff out. I had a situation uh, this just two months ago. This one kid was, uh, you know, things got a little bit out of hand in a, in a, uh, in a phys ed class. The kid got knocked down and he got a head injury. He was unconscious for a while. They've, they've documented there is a little bit of brain injury going there. And the school, six months later, still hadn't had the two kids sit down, even though they're in the same classroom. They didn't have the kids sit down to kind of process it out, you know. And and and, uh, and for the other child who pushed him down to have some empathy and, you know, and, and apologize. And so, you know, when if, if, if simply schools could, could help learn, kids learn how to uh, – to process their their interpersonal challenges and process their big feelings and and learn how to uh, center themselves in the in the midst of conflict and that kind of thing that that would go a long way. So when schools don't do that, what happens is that the social and emotional needs will trump any ability to um, to you know teach kids brains and help them learn you know learn new things because because that emotional overwhelm kind of takes over and it's in the driver's seat until you can kind of settle it down. So the settling of the emotional brain is a really, really important prerequisite to, to learning. And it's one of the most important predictors of success and happiness in, in life is the ability to have what we call emotional self-regulation. So that's where the schools could be doing different. I mean, it's like, oh, no, we've got to teach to the tests, and we've got to make sure that the kids are prepared and are getting high scores so that school can get funding and yada, yada. And uh, the schools that have actually implemented social and emotional learning as part of their curriculum, the scores go up 17 20%. It's it's an amazing kind of shift. You, You think, oh, my gosh, we're borrowing time from academics to devote to this soft stuff you know this feeling stuff and it's, well you know what it actually helps because even if you're borrowing time from academics but the scores go up because kids are are better learners what i what i say on my website is uh, you know happy kids learn better happy kids will learn wow. better and they learn more and their brains are engaged but their prefrontal cortex the thinking brain cannot be engaged when their emotionality is is kind of uh overwhelming them so what's going on with our children today going into these schools with guns Mm. well it's a lot of fear i'm telling you um i'm so glad that the movement is taking place now to to kind of you know express some irate irate uh, feelings about the situation of, of you know if you can't go to school and feel safe oh my gosh I mean, even young kids, Lamont, it's it's amazing. It's like, so, you know, when I was growing up, maybe not you, but I was like, you know, the the, the days where it was duck and cover and, and okay, we're going to get hit by a nuclear bomb and so hide under your desk, you know, as if that's going to help anything. Right. But they're having, they're having drills where the kids are imagining that somebody's going to come busting into the school, you know, with an AK, and what are they going to do? And they're having drills of, like, you know, dr- stocking their desks up and hiding behind desks and oh my god if they have to think about that it's it's uh it's horrendous it's just uh it's crazy um it it, it doesn't fit i mean I, I i am an advocate for especially for younger children it's really important for kids to be protected i call it the bubble of protection from some of the 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 real world things just like you don't want your your five-year-old watching, you know, porn. Well, they also kids can be highly sensitive to watching the news at night. I mean, don't let them watch the the nightly news even because you got the next bombing in Syria and the next school shooting and all that stuff. And boy, sometimes kids are getting into stuff that's that's way over their head, and then they can't sleep at night. And then without sleep, they're basket cases. So. Um, I, I just I can't imagine what it would be like being being uh, you know third grade kindergarten when it whatever you know and 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 having a sense of, of lack of safety in schools that uh, that they're experiencing these days. Right, I know that's something like like you mentioned. Um, we we never had to um, 
you know, experience of that. And I know, I guess I'd want to ask you, too, do you feel like these incidences are, um, goes back to maybe the lack of parenting or problems in the home? Uh, I don't, and I'll tell you why, because this is getting this is getting a little bit political, but you can look at countries who are really, really similar to the United States in terms of demographics and and uh, GDP and all that stuff and socioeconomic kinds of factors and statistics and and you looked at the crime rate in Australia before they had the gun buyback that a very conservative uh, you know president of the country implemented uh, years ago and so it's the guns it's the fact that we have guns that's the most important contributing factor to the fact that that guns are being used in schools and that kind of thing because you look at other countries that uh, have the same demographics and they don't have the same problem if they don't have guns so readily available. Um, now, is it true that if a child is brought up in an environment where they're given a whooping every day and their parents are fighting and their father has guns, like, you know, are they more like, yeah, absolutely. But statistically, that's not as important as just the simple presence of the availability of guns in terms of what, what happens uh, why but are Doc, we haven't you know, there, but 20, Doc, 20 times haven't worse? There, but haven't there always been guns, though? Uh, not, not to the same degree, and not. I mean, what what's happened every time there's been efforts toward gun control? What happens is then people go out and buy more guns, and so I mean the the percentage has actually increased. But there's also the levels of stress I think can contribute to that, and then you know I think there is. There is some validity also to the fact that that a number of people who have uh, committed acts of violence in the schools have had mental health problems. But I would wager to say that the mental health problems that they're having are to some degree more caused by um, biochemical kinds of imbalance, bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, this, rather than that they had a, tr- a, tr- a troubled childhood because their family was all messed up. I mean, both things happen, but, um, but I, th- I think the, uh, the mental health issue is probably a more important one in terms of, uh, so what, you know, what's the genetic package that this person was born with? So, you know, you take that sort of precondition and you add the guns into it and well that's a perfect storm that's that's the collection of those two things that that uh, make it so that a school kind of shooting is going to happen wow okay yeah that makes a lot of sense too because i was just kind of thinking why could this be happening we never thought about doing those stuff like that yeah yeah i did I guess because that's from another whole another era too. Because my mom could be on another side of the room, boy, and she'd cut our eyes, and we'd know to go sit down. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but and that's what we you know that's what we call fear of authority, and and some amount of that's a really good thing, uh, and then too much of it obviously it doesn't work so well, and that's where you know, where uh, we can have some challenges too. So. Okay, what about these kids yeah. that go to school and the teacher is trying to tell them what to do and the first thing that comes out of the child's mouth was, you're not my mom or you're not my dad. I don't have to listen to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, what it means is a symptom of that something's going on in the home. And so if that happens, then ideally what happens is that child and that family, not just the child, but the family gets referred for some help to kind of correct the situation because there is no child who, I mean, that's, that's, that's basically a symptom of some stuff's not going on at home that really needs to happen and change. So that's where the focus needs to be and the primary focus, um, you know, unless there's a circumstance where, you know, well, if you had a, a family that's totally healthy and you go to school and the teacher's got a chip on her shoulder and she's acting in a mean and aggressive way, well, maybe that could happen, but the, for the most part, uh, you know, it's it's a kid who needs some some better limits at home to learn the respect for their own parents, which then will generalize to respect for for you know grandparents, teachers, principals, uh, even police. You know, just because uh, cause it's it's where we, it's what we learn in the home gets uh, gets played out in the rest of the world. 
How, how are families and children uh, usually come to you? I mean, uh, do you get any referrals like from uh, law enforcement or the court systems? To some degree, yes, uh, but it's more likely word of mouth given I've been doing this for so long. I have uh, a very close relationship with probably seven or eight pediatricians here in Santa Barbara who refer to me constantly uh, because they – uh, most of them have read my books and stuff, and they're, you know, oh, my gosh, here's the guy that can help, uh, that kind of thing. So I would say that, uh, you know, school personnel like teachers and then pediatricians and, and uh, sometimes some lawyers too. But I've also done evaluations. I had, interestingly, two cases this year where the kid, talk about school involvement, the kids have been on the bus, on the school bus. In both cases, they're special buses, not the regular school bus, but kind of like special needs buses. And the kids have been forgotten, and the kids are in the bus all day, trapped in the bus, and obviously neglect there on the part of the school. <laughs> and that's a whole different deal where the, the child needs to get de-traumatized from, oh, my gosh, what a horrible experience to be trapped in a bus all day in the sun and and screaming and crying and nobody's there to rescue them. So that's a, that's a rare kind of referral, but uh, an interesting one, kind of, of a different thing, different nature. And tell me last, well, I know not last, but I'm always interested in music because that was my core business for many, many years. Yeah. And writing songs for, um, how did that happen, the children's songs? The children's songs. Well, I, you know, I've, I've been singing all my life. I, uh, Unfortunately, I, I learned the clarinet when I was a kid, so you don't compose songs on the clarinet, so... With with the advent of MIDI, which you know what that is, the ability to to write songs on the computer and slow had, them up had, and make them I faster. I had the same I had the same problem with the clarinet. Uh, <laughs> did you really? <laughs> yes, I did. I, I, I'm still mad at my father. It's like he wanted me to be the next Benny Goodman, right? You know, so come on. <laughs> no, um, so I you know MIDI has helped me. Uh, I, I have been hugely inspired. I get song ideas in the middle of the night. Um, I was actually, um, I wrote a TV show with a friend of mine that we pitched to various people, including Disney way back when, and and I went to Porchlight Entertainment, who was doing J.J. the Jet Plane, and they said, well, we don't like your show, but we sure like your music, because I'd start writing songs for kids, um, and I uh, wanted to write songs, because it's just the love of my life, it's 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 what inspires me, Lamont, I'm I'm still like, you know... I'm still writing music uh, constantly, and if I I've tried to stop, you know, when when some of the need dries up or there's like, where am I going to put this song? It's like, but I can't do it. It's just it just it's just uh, it's what wakes me up and it's what what keeps me running is to to keep writing music. But uh, so yeah, I've done it for kids uh, primarily, and the TV show um, picked up my uh, picked up my stuff and and popularized it, and then I got another. TV show more recently. I've been writing for Mutton Stuff, which is a, a Nickelodeon show. Nick Jr. So yeah, wow. that's really fun. And uh, the the goal of the music is basically to give kids social and emotional skills. It's to take the same kind of stuff that we've been talking about, not so sophisticated. And what's what's the package that that kids can learn? So for example, there's, this, there's a, a song called Stand Up which is a rap song about bullying and uh, and gives tools for you know for kids to be able to to you know stand up and speak your mind go stand up and say it's never okay to be unkind enough's enough let's draw the line it would do the world a good if everybody could stand up for each other and don I don't want to cut you off but we got like a minute and a half left to the show oh. and please tell our listeners where they can go get your book. Man, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, really. Okay. So th- my book and the program are at strongwilledchild.com, and strongwilled is hyphenated, so that's strongwilledchild.com. And that's uh, got a wee free webinar for folks to take. It's like an hour long, and it's uh, very highly entertaining and educational about uh, uh, how to parent strong-willed kids. And then I have an online course that's uh, that can also be taken my book is at that same website, the Who's the Boss book. And then for people interested in the music, uh, it's a pretty simple thing to remember. It's called Happy Kids Songs, happykidsongs.com. And uh, the songs are like a buck apiece, and uh, 
great downloads, and they're they're uh, categorized into different albums that have different themes, like feelings and fears, and another one on communication and skills like that. And so uh, that's the place to go. All right, sir. And I want to thank you so so very much for kind of taking the time out to come join us. And for the listeners that came in late, you'll be able to hear the show in entirety. And about one minute, it'll be available worldwide wherever you get your podcast and listen to your interviews. You can get this at worldmovement.com. And, again, thank you so very much. And we're going to keep an eye on you, and you have new supporters here. Hey, great. Thank you so much, Lamont. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you, sir. And have a Take great care. day. You too. Dr. Don McManus, everyone. Join us again next week. Thank you much. Love and blessings to you all.